starting in verse 23 of Colossians chapter 1, the second half. It says, This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I mean, if there's ever a reason for a run-on, that's it. It's awesome. You know, it's just, you know, when I was younger, I, I read, you know, you know, you go to school, don't speak in run-on sentences, and then you start reading the Bible, and Paul just pays no attention to that. He can't help it. He just goes. And I used to write in run-ons, and I feel very justified in it now. But one of the things that drives the world crazy, absolutely crazy mad about the church is that there can be at times great hypocrisy. Great hypocrisy within us. And, and you know it. And, and I always say to the world, I say, well, where else are they supposed to go? You know, I mean, we're a bunch of people who like have been saved, right? And hopefully the Lord is working at that authenticity in and through us. But it really, this can come from people quite often in my position, pastors and leaders. And, and, I'm, and I'm not someone who is... Uh, who is uh, uh, without fault in this, I have to- I see it in my own life. I fall short in areas. I preach something, and and, and I don't live up to it. And, and you guys all know that. And you all said Amen. No, I'm just kidding. You you all know that though. And and but really, you know, we can come up here uh, as pastors. We can wax eloquent about the deep truths of God. But when it comes down to living out the sermon, it's it's sometimes we fall short, just just like you, you know, and. I think we really can be bummed when a church leader's walk doesn't live up to the talk. We really can. And that's a, it's a real difficult reality of living in this world. But sadly, I know uh, <clears throat> I suffer in rightly living what is taught. And, and I know that when I rightly live what is taught, I, I, I embrace Christ and, and he was rejected by the world. Does that make sense? And so I start suffering as I become more like Christ, as I stop becoming like the world, as I start being light, as I put on Jesus, as I'm turned from the inside out, and I start living in a way that glorifies God, I start to suffer. And that's it. Bye, John. <laughs> but we do. We start to suffer. And Paul, in the verses preceding the ones uh, we just read, verse 23, uh, I did add it in there. He just reminded the church of what it means to walk as a true disciple of Jesus in true faith, which is to trust the gospel and live it out. That's what he just said. And in verses 21 and 22, Paul reminds them of the gospel, and Gary just read it, that we were once enemies of God, but we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. We were once out 
and rebels, but now we're in, we're saved because of faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. And he has made us holy and without blemish and free from accusation before God. Amen. That's what the church is. I love that. And so that's the good news. We, we could never earn this. We all know this. We can never earn it. We can't earn our salvation. Salvation means being saved. We can't earn being saved. Uh, we couldn't earn that. We, we receive forgiveness from God. We receive it by faith. We say, thank you. Yes, I believe. And that's the gospel. I love that. Well, Paul goes on to verse 23, where we spent most of our time last week, and he says, well, all that's yours if you continue. If you continue in your faith, established firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So Paul, and there's a great amount of debate in the church. Once saved, always saved. Perseverance of the saints. All these types of things that go on within the church. And, and so what I prefer to do is just as we hit text, not jump, not go into a bunch of theology, just teach what it is. And what Paul is saying is, man, Christ has done all these things on your behalf. And it remains so, or is so, or is true, however you want to phrase it, if you continue faith in the gospel. Because if you take your faith away from that which saves you, you are no longer saved, correct? That's kind of what he's saying. And there's a question within the church whether or not means, well, then you, would never, you never really knew God to begin with. And so there's all these different discussions that are in there. All I want us to know is it has an if in there. And all we need to be concerned with is what Jesus has done for me, and we keep our eyes on Christ and focused on the gospel. That's what he wants us to be concerned with, persevering in faith. Amen? And so Paul explains the right teaching that they're to place their faith in to be saved, the cross of Christ and that alone. And then he says, if you move from faith in the cross alone, you're not saved. That's, that's what he's saying here. In other verses, you can, you can take out a whole bunch of other theology, but this is what we're talking about. And so the issue face, uh, facing, uh, as we had mentioned last week, is that there were those false teachers and philosophers who were seeking to pervert the foundation of their faith. They're seeking to get their eyes off that, to move them away from simple faith in the gospel to another gospel or to a different philosophy or something that says that I can save myself by being circumcised, by obeying the Sabbath, by doing all these things. Then I am saved. And Paul was calling them to stand fast and not be persuaded by these guys who were coming in. And let me tell you, the pressure to conform to another gospel is the same in our culture. It might be packaged differently, but it's here. It's here. And it's overwhelming. Just think of the philosophies and the false teaching of today that we would seek to get, that would seek to get you to concede that there is another way to heaven. I mean, just listen to Oprah Winfrey. There's another way to heaven, that all roads lead to heaven. That Jesus is not the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus was exclusive, but he's inclusive in that he wants everybody to come to him. He is it, and that's, that's who we proclaim. There isn't another way in. And how the world, when we sit down and we proclaim the gospel to someone, or the most difficult thing is when you have someone who has, for me as a pastor, when someone who's passed away, who has someone uh, in that family, and they're saying, well, were they saved? Well, they were a good person, or they believed in this, or they went to church, or this or that. 
And the reality is you have to lovingly explain it's narrow. It's him. In the world, we feel the world's pressure of how narrow-minded, how unloving is that, how you know, conservative, right-wing wacko is that. Now, it should be everybody gets to go, gets a trophy. We feel it. Do you feel it? Do you feel the pressure when you start to share Christ and you feel the uh, around you? Feel like you got to conform? See, they're struggling with these same things. People are coming in and saying, oh, no, you got to pray to angels. you got to do all this stuff. Or you got to be circumcised. you got to do that stuff. And culturally, what was happening around them was putting an immense amount of pressure on them to just abandon the gospel. And Paul's saying, no, you got to persevere because what happens when you embrace the gospel? You begin to experience the sufferings of Christ. What he experienced, the rejection of the world, you begin to experience. And see, that's the very thing that we do not want to experience. But that is the very thing that we are called to do on this earth. That's faith. And so those issues are just overwhelming in their culture. And so they were most likely experiencing that backlash in a heavy way. And they came in, and under that pressure to conform, which is obviously headed up by the thoughts and the mind and, and the, and the uh, power of the enemy, the evil one at work in his world, they're either going to abandon the faith or they're going to enter into some form of persecution. And I don't know about you, but... I really want to make sure that I'm on the right track if I'm going to head into persecution, that it's not just, you know, ah, you know, that I really know that what I'm, what I am heading into is right and good and true and just and is what the Lord has. I don't want to enter into unnecessary persecution. Does that make sense? I don't want to go make enemies just for fun. That's not what I'm in, in, in it for. I want to live peaceably with all men. I really do. And it really helps me if the guy who's telling me to persevere in this isn't a hypocrite. Amen? That they're walking the walk, they're talking the talk, that they're the ones going out there and feeling the weight of it, that they're piercing the darkness, that they are feeling the rejection and the ostracization or whatever the word is by the culture. And... I don't know about you, but when I, when I get into those circumstances in, in, in life, I want to make sure that that guy's on target. That person isn't just talking things at me and writing from a Learjet. Oh, do this. You know, when I, you know, when I had cancer, I was not talking as much as I love my kids, but I wasn't asking them, what do I do? What do, I do? How do I get through this? Um, they were praying for me. They were supporting me. I wasn't talking to many of you, I guess, about that. But who, who was I talking to? I was talking about people who have been through cancer. I called Artie Krumsick up. Hey, Art, what's going on here? You know, how does this look? What does this go through? What do, I, what do I need to expect as I'm going through this? 
I talked to other people who had similar situations. I, I spoke with doctors and all these types of things. And, and I know I'm not talking about a worldly wisdom, but I wanted to talk to people who had experienced it, who had gone through it. And so I knew kind of what to expect as I was going through it. As opposed to someone's like, oh, it'll be great. God will get you through it. And, you know, that's great. I understand that. And so what Paul does here is he is telling them to persevere and he knows they're going to get hurt. He knows that some of them are going to die. He knows that some of them are going to get their stuff taken away. He knows that the culture's not going to like him anymore. They're going to brand him with all these types of labels. And, he's, and he says, don't move. Persevere. Just like Jesus did, but he wants to just con- confront them that it's not, I'm not just telling you this, I'm living it out. I'm living it out. And that's comforting for me. That Paul wasn't a general in some office somewhere shooting out orders, that he was on the ground with the troops, experiencing the shrapnel, had many wounds in his own body to say, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. He had the perspective. And so this morning I want us to think about the mindset of the gospel. The mindset of the gospel, Paul's mindset in this life. It's very important. Paul wants them to know, even though they had never met, that they can look to him as an example of one who has who is persevering in faith and has personally suffered from it. And so right after he tells them to believe and persevere in the gospel, Paul points to himself as that example. Verse 20 says, This gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, this is important for us real quickly. It's because if we're going to persevere in faith and be unmoved from the foundation of the gospel, uh, we're going to experience persecution. It helps us greatly to see that the kind of resolve and the mindset that we need to have. And a few things that Paul identifies about himself, the first in verse 23 here, and Paul says he become he has become a servant of the gospel. A servant of the gospel. I've told you before, I'll tell you again because it's fun, but that word servant means deacon. And it just means, it's, it can also be translated minister. And it just means you're executing the will of someone else. That's what you're doing. You're executing the will of someone or something else. That is, that is what your role is. And Paul says, I became a servant of the gospel. Listen, I'm not just telling you to persevere in faith to the gospel. I became a servant of the gospel. Paul's telling the church that his life, his life was centered around the gospel. The message of the cross, that Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross is the only way that men can be reconciled with God. Paul says, I serve that purpose, to bring the gospel to mankind. That's the mindset, and that is the mindset we are to have as a church. Do you know that? Same mindset. I am here, I am here to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ to deliver it, to give it. And you know, when you came to believe that Jesus died upon the cross uh, by grace through faith and were changed from an enemy from God to a child of God, you were given eternal life. And with that life came a new identity. And just as Jesus was all about bringing glory to God by reconciling the world through him, and so you now your purpose, my purpose as followers of Jesus is, is to now partner in God's great plan to make the enemies of God, the sons and the daughters 
of God by becoming servants of the gospel. We're now a part of the mission. The very thing that saved us, we become a part of to go sin and to deliver to other people. And I love it how the Lord uses living examples of the gospel. It's not just papers on a page. He uses us. The gospel has changed me. I have been changed from darkness to light. And now the testimony comes out of our mouth and is shining through our lives. And we serve to exhibit that thing, to promote that thing, to declare the thing in everything, in, in, in all places, in every aspect of our lives. No matter who you are or where you, what you're doing for work or where you go. And so Paul said he became a servant of the gospel. You see, before Paul was reconciled to God, he didn't want to have anything to do with sharing Jesus with people. Do you know that? Before he came to God, he really didn't, he could care less about sharing Jesus Christ as, a, as, as the way of salvation with people. But see, when he was changed, when he experienced God in his life, when he was radically transformed, guess what he wanted to do? When the life of Christ came in him, he wanted to give it away. He wanted to give it away. Life begets life. And that's important. He was on the road to Damascus. And the Lord met him. And it changed him. He had a new life. And it came with a new mission. You have a new mission, church. Do you know that? It's no longer mission Matt. I became a servant, Lord, of your gospel. And that's our call, to be servants of the gospel. We who have been a minute of life have been given this awesome mission of making Jesus known to Walla Walla. Do you know that? To every creature. You were saved to serve. Amen. Now, it's not easy, is it? Because by identifying with Jesus, being a servant of the gospel, it's going to cause me to suffer. It really is. When you're hanging out with someone and you're indulging in that lifestyle and, and it's ungodly and, and there you go and all of a sudden you become light, it repulses you. It breaks your heart when you continue on in that way. And so therefore, by the very nature of saying, I'm no longer going to do what you're doing, they're feeling what? They're feeling the light. They're feeling the conviction. They're feeling like you're being judgmental and they'll throw all these words at you and they'll start packaging in ways and oh, you're this and that. When actually your heart got changed, it got ripped out of your chest and God gave you a new one. And you just don't think and feel that way anymore, although you can relate totally with it. You've been born again. But as John, as John said, as Jesus said in John chapter 15, he made it clear to his disciples that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Well, that's convicting. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of, out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you. If they obeyed my teachings, then they will be, obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And so, so Paul says, church, you know what? Not only am I a servant of God, I'm also backing it up because I, I suffer for God. I identify with Christ in that I suffer. 
He says, verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. The purpose of the gospel is to reconcile people to God, to bring them into what? The church, which is the body of Christ. I love that. The gospel is what goes and grabs and connects and pulls out and draws and brings together all of humanity who are in Christ Jesus. Goes to every tribe, tongue, nation, culture. The church is the people who have responded to the gospel. And so Paul says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering you. Paul suffered sharing the gospel big time. How many of you have suffered by when, when you became a Christian? People started to look at you differently. You started to sh- maybe share Jesus with people. Family members just started to talk to you differently. All this type of stuff. And you might have been a little zealot. That's okay. Jesus loves zealots. Words might have been a little harsh. You might have been a little radical. Praise the Lord. You had fire in you and conviction. You need a little bit more of that. Amen? None of this quashing stuff. Jesus said, stir it up. Get out there. It's okay if you trip and fall. I want you to be hot or cold. You're in the middle. I'm going to spit you out. Fire it up. How do you fire it up? Yes, Lord. I serve you, and I will embrace the suffering. And let me tell you, it's not easy when you walk into a hostile environment and tell them they're all going to go to hell unless they turn and, and repent and, Je- and have faith in Jesus. And this little Jewish man who walked around 2,000 years ago died for their sins. And you have to define what a sin is in this modern culture. And let me tell you, it's not, it's not the most, you know, oh, you know, everybody's looking at you, how wonderful. No, you get the polite, silent sneers. You get looked at like you're crazy. You don't get asked to pray anymore for things. You don't get invited back. You know, they might not say it to your face, but then they start getting around you around the corners and talk to everybody else about you. You know, we really haven't experienced yet in our culture outright persecution for our faith where the walls have just come down and it's just outright, we're not going to tolerate your intolerance, your narrow-minded message. It's coming. It's coming shortly. So when I stand and I say marriage is between man and woman because God said it and everything else is idolatry, sleeping with your girlfriend, hanging around, sexual morality, all that stuff, Uh, gay marriage is not even marriage, all that stuff. When I stand up and I say that, it's not to make a political point. It's not to put a platform. It's not so people conform to things. It's because marriage reflects Christ in his church. That's what he designed it for. And anything else is totally broken. It's not to make that point of do this, do that, conform to this. It's because it reflects him. And that's an affront to the world because why in the world would you ever, ever say that? That's not the way you win and influence people. But you see, are you willing to embrace the cross? Not making enemies for enemies' sake, but when those philosophies start to influence our thinking in our church, you have to stand and you have to say something. Amen? Not that we hate people or anything like that. You know, but when we see the church start to embrace things that Jesus died and bled for to forgive us of, 
from everything from spiritual pride down to secret sin or whatever it might be. We've got to stand. Standing on what's true and right. What is the gospel? Christ died to reconcile those, us from those things. And if we do not repent and we do not turn and we do not come to faith in Christ, there's no hope. There's no hope. But see, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his son to pull us out of that. The only thing that could, the greatest thing that could ever do that, he sent his only son to die to switch places with me for the things I have done for you, for the most vilest of sinners. And that's where Paul is going here. But he lets them know that we're going to suffer. Now he says, I rejoice in my suffering from you. Now, Paul really suffered for the church. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, he just kind of lays down his resume about how he just got beaten and, and suffered and all these types of things. And he wasn't doing this to boast. Actually, his point in saying all these things was that I don't want to boast any things. If I, could, if I could say all the wonderful things I've done for God, these would be the list. And he was being rhetorical in saying this. But we do gain insight into what he suffered because he wrote this. And it says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Ouch. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow, uh, my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored, I have toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and beside everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Lord, I can't get up to pray this morning. I'm tired. I worked all week. He knows it. I, I mean, these are the things I think. But he says, so Paul suffered to get the message of the cross out to them. He wasn't writing from his Learjet, right? Where was he writing from? He was imprisoned in Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome. He had a guard chained to him all day. Paul's attitude in suffering for the gospel was also that of joy. How in the world can you have joy when you've been through all that stuff? Have you met those people who have really suffered for the Lord and they just have an amazing amount of joy in their life? Have you met those weirdos? Those are awesome people. That's what it's about. You know, I just... Who's a lady in the, in the, in the wheelchair for years and years and years? Thank you, Johnny. I always mix her up with someone. Johnny Erickson. I mean, just an amazing amount of joy. And she's really authentic about the things she suffers and the frustrations and the difficulty of her relationship with her husband, being quadriplegic, and all those types of things. She's honest about it. But there's an overriding joy in her life because she knows that Christ will reward her. This is not it. And... For the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 2, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. You know, one of Satan's lies is that suffering for the gospel would, is just about humiliation and isolation. That's what he wants you to think. 
that if you share Christ or if you live in such a way that is offensive to this culture, you will experience isolation and you will experience humiliation and persecution, and that's it. That's all you experience, and you'll walk in this depressed state. That's a lie. You will struggle, by the way, and I pretend it's not. But what happens, it's not about the, um, you know, all those types of things, you know, the isolation, all those things. It's about identification with Christ. And in identifying with him and embracing the cross in your life, you find joy. You find that if you lose your life, you actually have life. And God gives you joy in suffering. It's a supernatural thing that happens. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And how we are in a culture that lacks joy and we have to medicate ourselves to get some, hey, how you doing? You know, going up. Don't, amen? When what we really need to do is embrace the cross and lose ourselves in him and in his mission and his purpose for the church and walk across the street and experience them saying, ah, that's nice, or slam the door in our face or whatever it is, and you walk away and go, okay, Lord, I'm rejected by the world. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts to speak to your heart. That's because you're mine. Because you're mine. And guess what? It never, ever, ever will be taken away. You're mine. And then you go, wow. So what do you want me to do next? Go do it again. Oh no, Lord. Go do it again. Love them. Do something else. Fix their car. Whatever it is. You know, and the Holy Spirit just works through us in whatever ways God's called you to. You know, it's sweet. But... Jesus said in Matthew 5, you know, well, just, just real quickly, no, no matter how the world treats us, we've been promised a rich reward for suffering for him in this life. So Jesus said in Matthew 5, starting in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Make sure that's because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus commands us, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who are before you. You know, Paul knew that with every rejection, every sneer, every time that he was looked at funny or, or, or beaten or hurt or whatever it was, because of the message he proclaimed, that he was just racking up rewards in heaven that could never be taken away. You see, being grounded in the gospel, being focused on the hope that the gospel gives, an inheritance and a reward, that is the guarantee that he is our prize. It will not go away. And he knows my name. He is our joy. Amen. So, so Paul says, bring it on. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. Now, it's not talking about salvation as if Christ didn't suffer enough. That's not what he's saying. We knew in 1 Peter that Christ suffered once and for all for sin. That's it. There's no purgatory. There's no more suffering that Christ had. But what this is referring to is that when Christ, uh, when, when we as the body of Christ are out there ministering on his behalf and we get persecuted, he feels it. He feels it. Paul knew this firsthand, what happened on the road to Damascus. He was, yeah, he was persecuting the church. And what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so 
This is not a uh, Jesus hasn't suffered enough for sin types of thing. Paul's saying that I totally, uh, I, I, I embrace my part in the body, that when I suffer, Christ suffers. And in that sense, um, we are fulfilling what is still lacking. In other words, Christ is still suffering in that sense, not for salvation, but in the sense that he feels what we feel. And that's important. Because we remember that God has made us a part of the body to serve the body of Christ. And so um, it's a very powerful thing when we suffer on, on his behalf. Listen, God's calling you to persevere, is what he says. Persevere, even though you're hurting. Persevere. And so... Paul saying to the church, listen, God's calling you to persevere in the gospel and he uses his own life as an example and says, man, I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel and the church um, that the gospel saves. And verse 25 says, I've become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and uh, in generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So not only is Paul a servant, of the gospel, he serves the church that the gospel saves. And that's important. That you're, You have an outward mission and you have an inward mission. Do you know that? You have an outward mission and an inward mission. You have an outward mission to the world. And you have an inward mission to the body of Christ. That's, that's part of your life. That is your new vision, by the way. To glorify God. And we have it in our, in our vision. But part of our vision is to have that inward ministry of the church and also the external ministry of reaching people for Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. That's what being part of the body of Christ is for. The body of Christ is not just to serve its own purpose. It is to go and reach and grab and bring and draw in. And it says, Paul says that he became a servant and a minister by the commission or stewardship is the word God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And so Paul was to serve the body of Christ and that he was given, he was called to be given a stewardship of presenting the church, the word of God in its fullness. Now, Paul notice that Paul was not given ownership. Amen? He was given what? Stewardship. We're given stewardship, not ownership. That's very important. He was commissioned. And that's important because we must remember that God has made us part of the body and he's called us to serve the body of Christ so that it will be blessed and it will be built up. It will come to maturing in the knowledge of Jesus and we will give an account before Jesus about what we have done with what he has given us to do in the church. Each of you has a calling within the church. Each of you has a calling and it is up to you to go seek him to find out what that is. Do you know that? And he does work through me and the other people as well as we identify one another. Oh, you know, this is what the Lord's done with you. But you are connected here and you have a responsibility before God to build up the body of Christ in the various wonderful ways he's given you. Paul's was in teaching the word of God to people. And I love that about Paul. In Matthew 25 he says, what, the, what will the kingdom of God be like? Or what will it be on that, that day when the Lord suddenly comes back is, is, is better? It says, verse 14, he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to the other one, each according to his ability. I love that. 
That's what the Lord did. He gave each one something according to their ability, as he saw. He didn't give someone who couldn't do this, that. He didn't make me Billy Graham. Praise the Lord. Senior all said, amen. You know, but, you know, he didn't make you, uh, you know, someone else. He gave you what he's given you. It says, then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so... Also, he who had two talents, he made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. That's the day we're headed for. The settling of accounts. You've been entrusted, and there's a long time between now and then. Some of us, it's a shorter time. And what does he say? There's going to be a day of reckoning. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will, give you, I will set you over much. Eternal rewards. You think you're just going to go play a harp on, the, on some cloud in heaven? No, you're, giving, you're going to be given more. More. Eternally more. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward. Master delivered me two talents, uh, and here I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have, you, have made, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. He also received w- w- one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent on the ground. I didn't want to lose what I had. I'm just so unsure of, you know, myself and you and the whole thing. I'm just going to be selfish here. Here, you have what is, have what is yours back. But his master answered and said, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. And then you ought to have invested your money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my worth, uh, what was my own with interest. And so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone, here's the principle, for to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Think about that. You have something and God wants to add it to you. He wants to reward you doubly and overflowing in your life. But he says, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you continue. I don't understand it all, but I tell you, there's a little fear there. I don't know how many of you got a little fear. And it's not fear to take my talent and go, I don't want to do anything with it. It's a greater thing of knowing that God will reward me and also I have the opportunity to really displease him. I wanted to just, I'd rather step out and be a fool for Christ than to hold it all in. Amen? Amen? Come on now. We're on the home stretch. Paul says, I have a stewardship that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And in closing, it says, the mystery that has been kept. Here's what it means uh, to declare the word of God. He says, the mystery has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them who, has, 
who God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, the New Testament reveals what was concealed in the Old Testament. Paul's saying there's a mystery that was hidden throughout the beginning of time. It's that the Gentiles would be included in the God's people. And you're saying, so what? You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're all Gentiles, let's move on. No, it was a big, 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 big deal. Because the Old Testament, God had chosen people. And he gave them the covenants and the law and all these types of things. They were God's holy people set aside. That means everybody else, the Gentiles, were not. God made provisions for them to come in, but they had to come in through a very narrow gate. But Gentiles were often referred to and called dogs. Because they acted like dogs. They act like our reality TV shows. They just, upon their instincts, they were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing their children to Moloch. They were laying their babies on these hot, burning uh, idols until they sizzled and died before, before them. And, offered, and it was all because they were sleeping around with each other and all this type of stuff. The same stuff's going on today. Crazy stuff. They were dogs. And, and as you looked at the way God was to be worshipped in the Old Testament, and this is huge. You had the temple or the tabernacle, if you go further back, you had the temple. And on that temple, if you looked at the way it was designed, on the very outside was something called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where all the Gentiles hung out if they wanted to follow God. They couldn't even go on the inside. And then, and then there was the Court of the Women. And then if you got closer, there's the court of the Israelites, all the men who had, who had gone through sacrificial and cleansing rites, so they, all, they had all gone through those things. But as you got closer to the middle, then there was the building, and there was the holy place, and then the most holy, the holy of holies. But the holy places, where the priests are operating in this place. You couldn't just walk in there and do something. It was just the priests who did this. And then the holy of holies, I've shared it with you before, that was the place where the, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it was separated by a veil. It was a small room. And a priest, the high priest, could only go in there once a year, not without blood. They had to sacrifice, be sprinkled, go through all these cleansing rites. And they, remember they tied something around his foot in case he got smoked when he went into God's presence because he did not have the holiness. He was not clean. He was not pure. He walked in there and he dropped dead to pull him out because I'm not going in there to get him. Right? And here's the mystery that Paul says. That God sent his son Jesus and died so that the dogs would be cleansed. And not only the dogs would be cleansed of all the wickedness things they do, whether they laid their kids on the altars and burned them to death, whatever they did, that Jesus' blood was so powerful it took away all their sin. And not only that, God left the Holy of Holies, the Temple of Temple, uh, the Holy of Holies where His very presence dwelt. And He left it. And He now, not only was around the Gentiles, He set up the Temple, the Holy of Holies within their own hearts. Christ in you, the, Holy of, the hope of glory. And that's what God did with me. I was outside. I was alienated. I was far away. Many of you were too. We all were, it says. 
that Christ came inside us and died for us and bled for us and through faith in him, he now resides within me. That's the hope of glory that he is now in us. And that's the power of, of, of Christ. And, and he says, he is the one we proclaim, verse 20, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul says, that's who we proclaim. We don't proclaim all these other weird things. That's Jesus. That's the one we proclaim. And that's the one you proclaim. And proclaim means preach. Admonish means that word for warn. So there's preaching and there's warning. And lastly, teaching has the idea of dialoguing. So he does all those things that people might grow up in Christ. There's a time for all those. And Paul says he's the one we proclaim. So that we may mature. The purpose of this morning, why we're gathered here under the word, this would be that you and I, through the preaching and exhortation and the teaching of the word of God, would grow into the man or the woman that God has called you to be. You green up and grow up. Amen? Me too. You grow into that person that glorifies God. That we, you would walk worthy, that we would walk worthy of the calling, that the gospel would not be retarded in your life. The word of God would dwell in you richly, that you would no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you would put off the flesh and put on Christ, that you would grow and mature in his, as his plant, yielding that spiritual fruit, the character of Christ, that you would have the fruit of the spirit overflowing in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, that you would live sacrificially, not selfishly, that you would persevere in faith, knowing the certainty of the sure hope you have in Christ, that you would love as Christ loved, that you'd grow up, that I'd grow up. Amen? How many of us need to grow up? You feeling it? Yeah, me too. You don't need a touchy-feely sermon. You know, you, you need the word because you need to grow. I need to grow. God's calling you to the cross. And Paul is determined to be a good steward. He says, to this end, and this is where we're reading, to, strenuously cont- I, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The word strenuous and contend. Strenuous means to grow weary, tired, or exhausted with toil or burdensome grief. Contend is a Greek word. It, it resembles our word for agonize. That's the word in the Greek, agonizomaya, uh, which is our word for agonize, and the word means to fight or to contend, and the idea was in the games of the day, that you wrestle. And so Jesus used that word in Luke 13, 24, where he says, make every effort, agonize, to enter through the narrow door. Many, because many, I tell you, will try to enter in and will not be able to. And Paul says, to this end, I strenuously Contend, and here's the key, with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And I look at the things God calls me to, I just I, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. You need energy, that's that word for energy, and God, Christ so powerfully works in me, that word powerful means dynamite. You need energy and dynamite to do what God's called you to do, amen? And who provides it? Christ in you. But he will not do it until you step out in faith. And faith is what activates the energy and the power that God has called you to obey in. And so step out and be empowered. And so just to close it up, button it, 
the exhortation this morning is that God has called each of you to the mission of the gospel. He's called you this morning to the mission of the gospel. And we're to be servants of the gospel. So make it your mission. Secondly, when you are rejected in suffer, which you will, suffer with joy knowing that Christ will reward you. Know that. You need to know those things. Amen? And serve the church as a steward with the gifts God has commissioned you with. You're not Paul. I'm not Paul. Amen. I'm Matt. You're who you are. Serve the Lord. Seek him for that. Find out how that is, how you can contribute to the mission of the gospel of Christ. Step out. Be a fool. I don't know what I'm doing. It's okay to make mistakes. Amen. Get moving. You'll be accountable for it. Serve the church. Proclaim, admonish, and teach the world around you. Speak it. Declare it. Preach it. It's okay. Did you know you're supposed to say words to people? Do you know that? We can talk to them about everything but Christ. No, proclaim them. Admonish, warn people. But also dialogue with them. Talk with them. Get into their lives and reason with them. Amen? And strenuously contend, agonizing, fight, wrestle. But do all this in the energy that Christ so powerfully works in you. And may many sons and daughters come to glory as they put their faith in Christ because of you. Because you have denied yourself because Christ is now living through you. Amen? Live it out. Lord God, we just pray this morning that we would be like Paul who was like you, Lord. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Will you give us just a, a clear encouragement and invigoration of your spirit to rally around the cause of Christ to not be afraid but to proclaim in deep love Lord help us to be so merciful in our words and loving and kind just as you are with us but not veer one inch from the truth not to compromise whatsoever and if we must suffer Lord give us the strength so Lord send your body out of this place today to the various places where it will be operating and I pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit and that much fruit would happen both in our church and to the world around us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.